The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. You keep believing that you live in America. You keep believing that you live in the nation that was founded under life, liberty, and the pursuit of property. Pursuit of happiness, of owning property. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You keep believing that we're operating in that same paradigm. Now, on the last podcast, I went through how the Biden administration is operating and governing from a different nation. But we are being infected by the Xi Jinping Cultural Revolution. And I've talked about this on multiple podcasts. If you go back and find out what Mao Zedong did through his cultural revolution through China, you will see we are following the same footsteps. We are, and, and what's really amazing is Mao and Xi are one and the same at this point. I mean, Xi Jinping has already eliminated uh, term limits to the point where he can just govern as long as he wants. And we're also looking at what's going on with critical race theory. That's what really clued me in. One of the things that really got me to think about this in the very beginning was critical race theory was being pushed all over the place. It was being pushed at Google, Delta Airlines. It was being pushed through all these businesses, governmental organizations. Basically, what they were doing was they were fomenting dissent through the culture based upon the founding because critical race theory is derivative of critical theory. Critical theory was, a, you know, an institution of Karl Marx. It was a class warfare theory. It was basically, well, you're the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, and you'll never become something greater than that because you're in this class. So we need to teach you about critical theory so that you can reject the mobility of classes. And that's what they taught at Harvard, because that's where it was originally hatched in America. Harvard was obviously a target, and they are complicit in the lockdowns of COVID-19. If you remember, they were, one of, they were the first college to close. And they also had biomedical uh, issues tied to uh, what we're seeing with uh, Wuhan. But that's another story. But going back to critical race theory... So the problem is you can't pit class against class because in North Korea, in China, in most totalitarian governments, the class that you're in is the class you're going to stay in. That is the class that you've been deemed and designated to. And in North Korea, they say that, you know, if you or maybe an ancestor of yours did something against the government, well, then you were in this class, and every generation that passed will remain in that class. 
So yeah, you can play the class warfare game at that point. But in America, you can't. Because somebody who's poor could be rich immediately. And they could lose it all. I mean, they could win the lottery. They could put all their money in Bitcoin. They could turn around and work really hard and build an organization like Amazon or Microsoft. And then they can have it all taken away like, uh, you know, pets.com, right? So you can move throughout the chain pretty easily. So they had to devise a new way of weaponizing that idea, but making it effective in the American structure, the free market capitalism economy. So they did so with critical race theory. So this played the racism game. And racism has been something that has been drummed up by the left for a long time. So for those that want to weaponize uh, racism, they could do so and do it through critical race theory and then just claim, well, you know, this is just teaching history, you know, because our roads and bridges were built like Pete Buttigieg said, um, they were they were systemically built under racism, right? You know, they were paved in racism. Anything was built and systemically fabricated in racism because they're all communists. They're all wanting to push Marxism on America. And we had an activist from China who was in the Mao Cultural Revolution go on PBS News uh, News Hour, I guess it is. I don't know. I mean, it's a state-controlled media, but it's PBS News Hour, and he basically tells us that this is happening and that we're already in a totalitarian authoritarian regime. We just don't even recognize it, which is the entire point of my last podcast, the second half, that they're governing from the new totalitarian regime. We just don't want to accept it yet. In your book, you're describing the directives of Mao Zedong during the Cultural Revolution that would be distributed publicly every night. And then you write, this is your quote, they served a function similar to Donald Trump's late night tweets while in office. They were the direct communication of a leader's thoughts to his devoted followers, enhancing the sanctity of his authority. So do you see Donald Trump as an authoritarian? I, well, I don't, you know, he, if you're authoritarian, you have to have a system in supporting you. You cannot just be authoritarian by yourself. But uh, certainly in United States, with today's uh, condition, you can easily have an authoritarian. In many ways, you're already in the authoritarian state. You just don't know it. How so? Many things happens today in U.S. is can be compared to cultural revolution in China. Like what? Like people trying to be unified in certain political correctness. That is very dangerous. We are already in the authoritative state. We just don't even know it. That's what I've been saying this entire time. I mean, lockdowns, uh, destruction of the oil industry, inflation, gas prices going through the roof because of the uh, 
oil situation that they're now blaming on the cartel of OPEC. Never mind the fact that Trump, at the beginning of the pandemic, bought and replenished our federal oil reserves at a low, low rate, gas prices at its lowest ever. And we could have released some of that to offset what's going on if it truly was the cartel of Saudi Arabia. But it's not. That's BS. I mean, so we are under fake vaccination mandates, having your employers and businesses require you to get vaccinated or OSHA is going to show up. I mean, having the FBI go after parents at school board meetings. I mean, what, what would be different under Biden that would be different under a Trump authoritative state? Um, nothing, because Trump never had an authoritative state. And that's part of the spin of that clip. You have to look past the fact that he said that about Trump, because basically what he's trying to do is what media tr- typically tries to do. They take what the left is doing and try to say that the right is doing that. And what they're doing is they're trying to say, well, see, Trump would have had an authoritative state. Would he really? The media's not on his side. The bureaucracy's not on his side. No one's on his side, not even his own party in most cases. Take a look at what he did under his TV show, The Apprentice. Every time he would show up, he would put the task out and he would designate project managers or they would designate, they would step up and say, hey, I'm going to do this job. And then he would just come back and judge it. And then he would judge whether or not you were being a douche or trying to throw someone under the bus or being weak. And then he would toss you. And that's where the twist came in, in the boardroom. But he was always decentralized. He wouldn't have left. He wouldn't have moved James Comey out of the way and and McCabe out of the way to have Christopher Ray come in there and act like the jack wagon he's been acting like. I mean, those things wouldn't happen under an authoritative leader. He's very decentralized. He lets you do your job and then he judges accordingly. And to his fault, because he should have just clean house in the beginning. But to say that his tweets are, are similar to Mal, they were more similar to FDR's fireside chats. I mean, he was talking directly to the people. That's what FDR did in the middle of the, of the Depression. Talked directly to the people and told him what he thought. And they took that as comforting. And never mind the fact that the media was all about Barack Obama and social media. Look how great Barack Obama is with social media. Trump schooled Barack Obama in social media, and they were, and he was so effective that they had to ban him because that's what they do to Republicans. It's a different, different set of rules. So, but we are in the Mao or the Xi Jinping cultural revolution. It's being fostered and being thrust upon us here in America. It's it's bubbled up from the universities. It's being injected into our churches. It's being politicians being bought off all to get to the goal of what china wants back in a moment this is adrian slade i want to set the table to show you how all of these incidents that come across as just one-offs you know this happens here that happens there is all a part of the xi jinping cultural revolution which is basically the mao cultural revolution of china Um, Everything that's happening was happening during the Mao Cultural Revolution, and Xi Jinping grew up in it, and now he's the leader, and now he's dear leader forever. He's doing away with term limits. It's, It's really unbelievable. So from the New York Post, Thomas Jefferson's statue removed from City Hall after 187 years. 
Thomas Jefferson is no longer in the room where it happens. Art Handlers packed up a 884-pound statue of Jefferson in a wooden crate Monday after a mayoral commission voted to banish the likeness of the nation's third president from City Hall, where it's resided for nearly two centuries because he owned slaves. About a dozen workers with Marshall Fine Arts spent several hours carefully removing the painted plaster monument from its pedestal inside the city council chambers and surrounding it with sections of foam and wooden boards. And what they don't realize is law mandated the slaves that Thomas Jefferson had could not be freed. And he, in part, was a proponent of releasing them. But we have to destroy our history. We have to destroy the statues. That's what they did through the entire summer of 2020. While we were supposed to be locked down and staying six feet apart, they were going around tearing down statues everywhere. Robert E. Lee was torn down. You've got Thomas Jefferson now thrown out of the city council chamber. You also had even down to Stevie Ray Vaughan. They thought he was some sort of uh, activist or something that got a statue. It's a freaking guitar player. But they had to destroy all the statues because that's part of what they did in China. And that's part of what Xi Jinping is doing here in America. Just take a look at what they're doing with Kyle Rittenhouse. So we went last podcast and talked about all the lies that the media doubled and tripled down on on Kyle Rittenhouse, the guy who was defending a friend's business in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, with a gun and defended himself, killing two people. And obviously the verdict was not guilty. And we laid out in the podcast previous, you can go back and listen to it, all of the reasons why the media lies didn't match up with the truth, which overwhelmingly exonerated uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Well, now, <laughs> this is the most amazing part. Now, they're taking the two uh, victims, they call them. One was a pedophile, raped between 5 and 11-year-olds, boys, for years. The other was an, a domestic abuser, abusing women. They're trying to make them black. There are pictures of their likeness in blackface going around saying, well, you know, to the effect of uh, that this only happens to black people. It's like, remember the heroes of Kenosha? And there's these two guys' faces, and they're black. Listen to this video from JMU. This is a student at James Madison University, and they posted this on the website. Listen to this. He even says they're black. Past December 16th, we've been shooting one about me, day in the life of Daquan Nichols. Thank you, JMU. Thank you to the entire Duke family. Thank you for me on Instagram and everything like that. After this post, I will be logging off. I simply wanted to publicly announce that the verdict of the Kyle Rittenhouse case has been nothing more than a disgusting reminder of what it's really like to be black in America. All the protesting, everything we went through in 2020, we, we really would think would make a change, but clearly it doesn't. We scream Black Lives Matter, but it doesn't matter enough for these people who are in power, the jury, the judge, anybody to charge this man with murdering and taking away two beautiful black lives at the ripe age of the 26 and 36. It's disgusting. <laughs> I mean, they've the media lies have bolstered so many lies. Officer Sicknick being killed with a fire extinguisher to the head. Made up whole cloth. You know, Brett Kavanaugh having a gang rape session at a college dorm room where they're playing beer pong. 
made up completely, whole cloth. I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse killing two black people, completely fabricated. I mean, it's really disturbing that the media has gone, used to be that they would just take a story and they would just kind of twist it a little bit. So there was a, a foothold, a toe was hanging out in fact land. Now they just make up facts straight out of the air. And then they get everyone to jump on board and gaslight it on thousands of platforms. And then your average idiot at the water cooler in your office is talking about it as though it's real. I've seen that happen before. And the thing is, we can't look at it and go, well, you know, Fox News has the highest ratings, CNN, MSNBC, they don't really matter. That is true. No one's watching CNN. No one's watching MSNBC. But they have the widest net because they have MSNBC, CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC, BBC. <laughs> they've got Cheddar, I guess. Uh, they've, got, uh, they've got all these other outlets, Washington Post, New York Post, or New York Times. Um, their local newspapers, their local affiliate stations. My three local affiliates here in, in the Virginia Beach, Norfolk area, man, I don't know what happened to them, but they're just outright parroting the same lies. They went on for months talking about how Officer Sicknick was killed by a fire extinguisher to the head. So that's part of the misinformation campaign to divide, and they do it on race. And they do it on your history, because as Mal did, he divided it by class. He created different tiers of class. And then he banished all of the statues and replaced them with his likeness. Xi Jinping's doing that in China right now, especially in churches. Any picture of Jesus up there? You got a, you got a picture of Xi right next to it if not in replace of it. That's what Stalin did. The, this is all communist. Every bit of what you're seeing. And it gets even worse when you hear people talk about the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday. Happy Thanksgiving to all you guys out there, though. And remember, it, it is a celebration of the thankfulness of God upon our country and its founding. So listen to this guy on MSNBC, I think. Um, I, you, I was amazed to see this. He, they go off on a rant and the rant starts with him just, you know, I guess this guy, he looks like he's half black, half native American. He's part of some tribe. I don't even know if I can verify that he could have just said it. I mean, they make up everything out of thin air, like we were just saying, but then he goes on this rant and as he's going on the rant on how evil America is and how Thanksgiving destroyed the indigenous people who were nomads, they didn't have claim to the land. They just, they, they farmed it. Yeah. And what we did, you know, was we believed in private property rights and therein lies the schism and the schism turned violent. And yeah, there were some people that took, you know, uh, on the English side that, that took it over the edge but there were also incidents where we actually bought the land. There was incidents where the Spaniards and, and, the, and the French came over. No one's demonizing them. No one's talking about the Spanish going in and taking out the Incas and the Aztecs and the Mayans down in Mexico. It's only America that's the, uh, that's the biggest problem. You see, this is the reason why I say it's the Xi Jinping Cultural Revolution, because when Black Lives Matter really started hitting the streets in 2020, you know, they've been doing it for years, obviously. We did, when they first appeared, we showed how it was all connected to communist front groups like FRSO, uh, Freedom Socialist uh, Movement, um, 
the, all the members have said they're trained Marxist. But in 2020, when George Floyd died, which they've now likened him to Jesus, they've got and a Catholic church put something up about it. it shows you the level of insidiousness that they've been able to achieve, whether it be in academia, whether it be in entertainment, whether it be in your religious uh, organizations, they've infiltrated and, and turned Marxism on like a cancer. Uh, so they're, they're deifying George Floyd, St. George Floyd King Jr., the third, whatever, X. And um, they have gone out and while that was while they were burning the streets, when they went out and started burning the streets in the cities and started toppling statues, China actually put out a statement from its government that said it condemned the United States for human rights abuses against black people. That's when I knew. That's when it clicked. I said, I don't think that this is just some crazed political leftist here in America teaming up with activists and trying to simply gain power. I think there's a foreign element. I would love to follow the money because we know Mitch McConnell is bought off by the Chinese. We know uh, uh, Eric Swalwell was banging a Chinese hooker who was a Chinese spy. We also know that many people within uh, down to Governor Kemp down there in Georgia, he, they're all bought off by China. So if China, after Trump turned the screws on him and wanted to co- say, this is the time we just got to collapse him and, and take control of the opportunity we have here to seize uh, leadership in the globe, why not? crank it up. I mean, we'll get into Hunter Biden and how Hunter Biden has basically aided China in becoming a powerhouse to benefit off of green energy. Well, who's in power? His dad making it all happen. But listen to this MSNBC clip that I was talking about and how they just totally demonize Thanksgiving. But then listen for the twist. See if you can catch it. With Thanksgiving right around the corner, I wanted to turn the mic over to Cross Connection favorite and my friend, Yassi Ross, for this week's essay and his take on the real story of Thanksgiving and some history you probably never read in your school books. Okay. My name is Yassi Ross. I come from the Amskapi Pukani Nation. The mythology of Thanksgiving closely mirrors the mythology of America. That mythology is the image that white Americans love to see of themselves. White settlers come to a strange land in good faith, bringing something of great value that enriches the people who are already here. The natives also bring something of immense value, equal exchange. That closely mimics the mythology of white America. It is how America wants to see itself. The truth, of course, of Thanksgiving is much different. The truth is pilgrims did not bring turkey, sweet potato pie, or cranberries to Thanksgiving. They could not. They were broke. They were broken. Their hands were out. They were begging. They brought nothing of value. But they got fed. They got schooled. Thanksgiving. It makes sense. There is much for white Americans to be thankful for. But I'm still trying to figure out what indigenous people received of value. Instead of bringing stuffing and biscuits, those settlers brought genocide and violence. 
That genocide and violence is still on the menu as state-sponsored violence against Native and Black Americans is commonplace and violent private white supremacy is celebrated and subsidized. From Stonechild Chief Stick to Mike Brown to Renee Davis to Breonna Taylor to Eric Gardner, Indigenous and Black people are still being murdered by those paid to protect us. From Ahmaud Arbery to Trayvon Martin, white Americans are still killing Native and Black Americans with no fear of reprisal. They brought chattel slavery to Africans and Native people. That still happens through the prison industrial complex that imprisons the descendants of enslaved Africans and Natives at far disparate numbers. That is the reality of Thanksgiving. Many of us are still waiting for white Americans to bring some value, still waiting for white America to match the mythology of Thanksgiving. Freedom, justice, equality, reparations for two and a half billion acres of stolen native land, reparations for 246 years of stolen labor, reparations for stealing native children. Stop the killing. It's still happening. Stop the theft. It's still happening. Return the land. Match the mythology. Then and only then we can all be equally thankful. Peace. And there it is. The twist. It goes from indigenous people, you know, being the genocide, you know, because the pilgrims came over here and got off the boat and said, we're just going to start killing people, which that's not how it happened, by the way. <laughs> it, it slowly built to that, but there was harmony at a certain point in the beginning. And they came over just for a peaceful reason to, you know, get away and, and start a new, a new uh, area that they could worship in. But let's not let facts get in the way. But the twist was somehow he brought in all the criminal elements that Black Lives Matter used. Why do you think that is? Because it's a part of the cultural revolution. This is how you destroy a nation from within. And we're witnessing it in real time. And that's the scary part is a lot of people are advocating for it. They're putting the black squares on Instagram and, and they're showing uh, you know solidarity with these Marxist movements. So... I'm going to go back and play a clip. I've got a couple clips from a documentary from somebody I follow online who delved really heavily in to Xi Jinping and, uh, you know, uh, his time growing up in the Mao Cultural Revolution. And you'll hear aspects of the Cultural Revolution being brought up. Um, you will also see how living through it has got to have some effect on you. I mean, you have to be influenced at some point. And then if you come into power, well, then there you go. You are now probably in line to follow that, you know, that worldview, follow that way of governmental thinking. So we're going to play this clip um, and it'll give you an idea of how you can totally tell that the Cultural Revolution from Mao is similar to the, some things, some aspects of things you're hearing today. In your scene today. Check this out. During this period, nearly all of China's villagers were transported to communes with strict production quotas. The Great Leap Forward involved massive investment, but produced little to show for it, resulting in the largest man-made famine in human history. Though at the time, experts around the world agreed no famine was occurring. The total number of deaths remains unknown, but official estimates range from 15 to 50 million. For this, 
Mao was briefly sidelined. But fearing his decline, Mao began a campaign to return to power, and in 1966 officially launched the Great Proletarian Cultural Revolution. It was during this period that Xi Jinping would experience his coming of age. Xi Jinping was born in Beijing in 1953. His father, Xi Zhongjun, was notable among party leaders for his relative moderation. When the Tibetans fought back against the CCP, he tried to push for a peaceful solution. The Dalai Lama later gifted him a watch that he kept for the rest of his life. At home, however, it was another story. Xi Zhongjun was a brutal disciplinarian who would scream, lash out at his wife, and beat Xi Jinping and his siblings. In public, the model statesman; in private, the tyrant. In 1962, Xi Zhongjun was stripped of his titles for defending the honor of a purged comrade. So this is from a documentary based on a book by Michael P. Singer, and、uh, we follow each other on Twitter. I wonder if I can maybe get him on the show. Maybe let's see. He's got a book coming out called、um, "The Masked Was Masked Bale of Cowardice and Snake Oil: How Xi Jinping Shut Down the World."、Um, so. Think about some of the things they talked about there. To do the great leap forward, that required a massive spending bill. Hmm. Do we see anything going on like that right now? Well, it passed the House. Still waiting on the Senate. Build Back Better is a massive, massive bill. And the crazy part is the great leap forward. That that giant spending pushed them what into famine. What do you think is going to happen here in America when they pass? Three point some trillion dollars in spending. You think inflation's bad now? Inflation's going to be higher. And the, the talk of Biden not running again. I wonder if that's equivalent to、uh, Mao being unseated for a shortened period of time before he came back and started the Cultural Revolution. So now we get Xi Jinping growing up in the Cultural Revolution. His parents,、mm, apparently, they're not all that、uh, on the up and up. Tyrants in the home, tyrants in the nation, building the next Mao. So、uh, let's take a listen to a little bit more. In 1966, Mao launched his cultural revolution, setting radical youths called Red Guards against the party hierarchy. Red Guards attacked anyone they perceived as Mao's enemies and destroyed China's cultural relics en masse. Books were burned, intellectuals were persecuted. And countless officials were purged. So look at that. They had the Red Guard, which is basically like the brown shirts.、Uh, there's there was one with、uh, the Soviet Union,、um, and we're kind of getting that here, aren't we? With Antifa and Black Lives Matter, and we have it in politics with the Squad, which Rashida Talib. Listen to her. She wants to open up the prisons to everybody. And guess what happened? She got schooled by an Axios reporter on HBO, but yeah, she wants to open up the jails and the federal jails and let everyone go free, all the criminals, while they're defunding the police. That's a recipe for disaster. But this member of the squad is doing the bidding of a communist movement. When you endorsed as,、uh, the Breathe Act, which、yeah. is a series of proposals to transform 
America's criminal justice system Mm -hmm. and create, quote, a roadmap for prison abolition. The BREATHE Act proposes emptying federal detention facilities within 10 years. To what extent have you wrestled with any potential downsides of releasing into society every single person who's currently in a federal prison? Yeah, I, again, I think that everyone's like, oh my God, we're going to just release everybody. That's not That's what, what the, Yeah, says. but did you see how many people are mentally ill that are in prison right now? No, I know, but the act that you so endorsed keep, actually gonna, says release everyone in But in 10, in 10 years. years, but think about it, who are releasing... But there are like human traffickers, oh, I know. child sex. So, but I you're mean, saying, do you mean that you don't actually support that? No. Because you endorse the bill. No, I endorse the BREATHE Act and looking at federal, the policies and how we incarcerate. Absolutely. But it says in there... But you cannot, you cannot, you cannot just blankly say, oh, look, she wants, that's not what I'm... But that's like in plain text. But <laughs> She hasn't taken a tough question in her entire political career. And now this guy from Axios is like, are you, are you really advocating for something this dumb? And she's completely caught off guard. Completely. Let's listen to a little bit more of this, uh, this documentary of, of Mao's cultural revolution and Xi Jinping growing up in it. Um, check a little bit of this out. Xi Jinping and his confidants rarely speak of his experience in the early cultural revolution. Xi's parents were tortured, and his father was exiled to central China. A bookish boy, Xi's boarding school was shut, and he was sent to school number 25, where he and his friends were bullied and beaten relentlessly as children of a black gang. Xi's home was ransacked, and his elder sister was coerced into suicide. In one incident, Xi was paraded onto a stage wearing a heavy metal dunce cap. His mother was forced to attend and shout, shame on Xi Jinping, along with the crowd but she never lost faith in the party, later recalling how he recited the thoughts of Chairman Mao every day, late into the night. Xi's father was imprisoned in 1968, and she was sentenced to juvenile detention. But he avoided this fate when Mao launched the Down to the Countryside movement, sending over 16 million youth to work on farms and learn about rural life. Age 15, she was sent to live in a cave house in Yan'an. As he later recalled, It was January 1969. Everyone was crying. There wasn't anyone on the train who didn't cry. But I was the only one laughing. The only one laughing. So now we're starting to see where Xi got his worldview. Reciting Mao all the time. Um, cold and calculated. Uh, for all the idiots that assumed that over the years, oh, well, you know, we'll just infect them with capitalism and it'll destroy their country. They turned that around on us. They're infecting us with communism and paying for it and getting results. And until it gets stopped, which I fear, I, I would love to think that we can stop it, but who knows? I mean, do we have the wherewithal? We're walking around with masks still two years in. I mean, we're still thinking a magical elixir, an mRNA, uh, new tech, experimental technology therapeutic is going to save us all. Um, I don't know that we do. 
I would like to think there's enough patriots that would stand up, and we will see. So let's get a little further into this so that you can hear a little bit more of the background. It's not the whole clip, but it's uh, just snippets from his documentary. But you hear about the burning of the books, the destruction of the statues, the Red Guard youth um, that they're trying to build in academia. You know, they've got Chinese uh, students that are set in play and Chinese professors as well in American universities that are trying to push communism on the inside out. And they seem to be wildly effective. I don't know about you, but let's listen to a little bit more of this. All ideas contrary to Mao's thinking and the objects that represented them had to be destroyed. Not just Confucianism and Buddhism, but even more so foreign faiths like Christianity. Throughout the country, churches were closed, clergy unfrocked, religious symbols smashed. The statue of the Virgin Mary was replaced by a portrait of Mao. One form of worship gave way to another. The physical destruction wrought by the Red Guards was unparalleled even in China's long history. Monasteries all over the country, as far away as distant Tibet, were ransacked and razed to the ground. The most important sites, like the Forbidden City, were protected on the orders of Zhou Enlai. But elsewhere, Mao's stormtroops had free reign. Zhou Enlai's implicit distinction between smashing bourgeois ideas and smashing bourgeois individuals was quickly forgotten. Over the next few weeks, tens of thousands of people in Beijing were harangued and severely beaten. Many hundreds died. The highest ranking victims were brought out for public humiliation before mass meetings in a football stadium. They wore placards around their necks with their names crossed out like common criminals awaiting execution. Wu Han was a playwright, one of whose works angered Mao. The chairman used it as a pretext to overthrow Wu's patron, the mayor of Beijing, Hong Zhen. The purge he'd set in motion would eventually claim other victims still higher in the chain of command. Meanwhile, Hong and his colleagues were left to twist in the wind. So cities were sacked and, and destroyed and burned to the ground. Does that sound familiar? We had all of these cities on fire last year. Churches closed, huh? Well, we closed them for the pandemic, didn't we? And every church complied for the most part. Thankfully, mine only complied for so long. Uh, we were only closed for like probably four weeks, I think. We opened back up because at the time, they didn't know the extent of what this virus would do. And there was a rift in the, in the congregation, but that's another story. But we still open back up fairly quickly. But the, to dehumanize people, to attack people, beat them in the streets, that's what they try to do with Kyle, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. That's what they do to any patriot. Look at the January 6th protesters. They're thrown in solitary confinement for 16 months, given stupid sentences like excessive parading and loitering or trespassing. And then they turn around and maced them in their cell for 15 minutes straight and blamed it on some gas leak that they couldn't control. <laughs> they, 
it, it, they're being they're being punished as enemy combatants at Gitmo, like they're waterboarded, uh, uh, you know, by George W. Bush. And the incident that happened in um, Wakosha um, with the gentleman, the hip hop guy, math boy, whatever his name is, who decided to get in his red SUV and mow down a Christmas parade killing a ton of people, including an eight-year-old that died today. Um, yeah, this guy, they tra- the media lied. And, and it's, they first stopped reporting on it when they found it was a black guy. So he must have black privilege because white people can't do that, especially if you have a MAGA hat on. It'd be on 24-7 news for the next eight months, if not longer. But we did a Las Vegas-style shooting with this event where we just let it happen and then we just whoop, memory hole it immediately let it dissipate from the news and and then it's on the back page no you know we might still mention it here and there because it is a uh, a, a crime but it's not going to get the attention that January 6th the insurrection is getting still to this day and what's really crazy is the media tried to deflect and say well you know this guy he was running from another accident uh, another incident and took off and then made a turn and, and accidentally ran into the Christmas parade which we now know is crap. The chief of police in his press conference said that there was no call for any sort of, uh, uh, you know, any sort of uh, apprehension or any sort of engagement with an, with an incident that would have related to his, right? So nothing happened there. And now we're learning that in his documents in the police report, um, he braked, he turned into the crowd, and then he accelerated and the videos show him pointing his vehicle at people, taking out a bass drum player for a marching band. And, you know, he's just obviously he's picking people off. And he did this in response to the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict. They want to say that we don't know. And yeah, I innocent until proven guilty. I haven't heard the definitive, definitive answer, but you can connect some dots. Go on his social media page. And he talks about it all the time. He wasn't a fan of Obama, but there's a good section of the communist left that are black that didn't like Obama either. (laughs) That doesn't mean they're not of that ilk. Um, Yeah, and he's got a hip hop video and listen to this video of him talking. As soon as we fall out, all of a sudden now I'm a pedophile. Let me explain that. Ten years ago, 2006, I caught a case with my oldest daughter's mama. Yes, my baby mama. She's from Oakland. I was busting moves in Nevada. I meet the she says she want to get down, so I'm pimping on the bitch. I'll take her to Nevada. You know what I'm saying? I get cracked. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know the was 16 at the time. She gave a statement to the police and told them, yeah, she was hoeing, that I was pimping, and, and uh, that she was 16, and that I didn't know that. Okay? So apparently his baby mama was 16 years old, so he's hooking up with an underage chick. <laughs> it's amazing. But, again, an incident used for violence against people that's very similar to the dehumanization and violence that you saw during the malcultural revolution all for the same cause you know yeah there there's different incidents different methods of how they accomplished it but it looks to me very similar right and listen to FBI director ray who the FBI is the new red guard it's the new brown shirts it's the stasi they're, they're being sicked on gram, grandma with the Gadsden flag fanny packs and the Yeti cup of Moscato walking into the Capitol on January 6th, weaponizing them and, and sicking them out on 
parents who are concerned about their kids being uh, being told about other guys giving kids blowjobs and 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 uh, CRT and transgender bathrooms, allowing ki- girls to be raped by transgendered people in the bathroom. Listen to him talk about China. And I will note that the pandemic has unfortunately not stopped any of this. In fact, we've heard from federal, state, and even local officials that Chinese diplomats are aggressively urging support for China's handling of the COVID-19 crisis. Yes, this is happening at both the federal and state levels. Not that long ago, we had a state senator who was recently even asked to introduce a resolution supporting China's response to the pandemic. See, they're within us. They, and that's the director of the FBI using the Stasi on, on people. And Biden's son, Biden's own son, facilitated. Listen to this. This is from the UK Daily Mail. Facilitated a nice little sweetheart deal for them. Hunter Biden's private equity firm helped China or helped a Chinese conglomerate buy American-owned cobalt mines. <laughs> American-owned cobalt mines. Unbelievable. In fact, another article said Hunter Biden's cobalt deal with China could increase the cost of his father's push for electric cars. Cobalt, a relatively rare and expensive mineral, it is an essential part of batteries used to power electric automobiles. The COVID-19 pandemic also made U.S. officials and the public much more aware of communist China's control of the supply chain for drugs and other products. So China is going to win all the way out on this, and we are going to move our power dependence from Saudi Arabia, and we've already removed it from us because we destroyed the pipeline. Uh, we also are uh, stopped fracking. Uh, gas prices are through the roof. Now he's going to shift the power away from Saudi Arabia and over to China. So let's see. Hunter Biden's son is helping China make deals to procure resources. Hunter Biden is the president's son, and the president is basically moving us away from fossil fuels to electric power that will help China. You tell me where we're not getting this put together correctly. You tell me how this is not the cultural revolution that Xi Jinping is trying to push on America so that they could gain power at a higher rate. It's all right there. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker. You can also check us out on the Roku channel. Download it in your streaming store. Support the show, anchor.fm slash Adrian Slade slash support, and we'll see you guys next time. Happy Thanksgiving. God bless.